I'll be reading for you the uh, entire book of uh, 2 John. It's only these 13 verses, and it goes uh, quite smoothly. So um, if you have your copy of Scripture, uh, look with me at, at 2 John, and we'll read through this. Second uh, John, beginning in verse 1, says this, The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all those who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and in love. It has given me great joy to find that some of your children are walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a, a new command, but one that you've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose, sorry, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you, to talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greeting. Let me just lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. And thank you, Lord, for opportunities for us to open it together as your church. As we work our way through it, Lord, teach us your ways. May your spirit guide us. May we be guided by truth itself. Lord, be honored and glorified through it all. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So today, as I said, we're continuing on our series through uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John by having a look at, at 2 John. Uh, my plan originally was to have this in a couple different messages, uh, but as you know, I was not well last week, and a, a huge thanks to, uh, to Lindy for uh, carrying on with a, a great time of, of prayer and worship there, uh, and uh, that's, it's wonderful to have um, not only a wife who can do that, but Julie and others who led in the worship, and we're so thankful for, uh, for that. So you guys get two sermons uh, today uh, in the one, uh, but I'll try to condense it just to, to one message here. Uh, but there's a lot in this great uh, tiny little book of 2 John. Now, 2 John or 2 John is uh, one of the shortest books in the New Testament, or in fact, one of the shortest books in the Bible. Uh, it's second only, the only book shorter than it uh, in the New Testament is 3 John. Uh, and these letters were uh, written... They're actually the, the, the exact length of what would fit in one uh, page of a papyrus, which was commonly used uh, for personal letters in John's day. And we do believe that this letter was written by the Apostle John, same as 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the, the Gospel of John. Um, we, um, there, there's a lot of similarities, so there's kind of some internal evidence for that in that uh, there's similar writing styles in each of these three letters. There's also a lot of similarities between these three letters and the Gospel of John, as we've discovered over the last few weeks. And there's also a lot of external evidence uh, for this letter being um, 
uh, written by John in that uh, Arrhenius, who was, he did, if you can follow this, Arrhenius was the disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John. Okay? And anyway, Arrhenius uh, quotes from this letter and he accredits, uh, he mentions John by name and uh, accredits him with it, uh, as do some historians who are around in the third century, uh, each quote uh, or credit John as being the author of this. And so we believe this letter was written around 1995 uh, AD, um, which is probably written in Ephesus, which is where John was living in the latter part of his life. Uh, This letter is small, uh, but there's a lot in it. It was written as a letter, uh, we believe, to the church. Now, it says it was addressed in verse 1 to to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. Now, many have debated throughout the years who, who this letter is written to. Some say uh, it was a lady uh, and her children, uh, very direct. Some would say it was a lady who was named Electa because it says to, uh, to the elect. Uh, but this is not likely because in, in verse 13 at least, as the word Electa is written in the Greek, it's written as an adjective, not as a proper name. Um, and some would say, well, it's written to an unnamed lady, just a lady whom we love and her children. Uh, this, again, is, is actually unlikely because... The next letter, Third uh, John, John writes to an individual, and he names that individual in the beginning of a letter, which was the common way. Is, uh, names, is the letter is written to Gaius, and he writes this letter individually to him and uh, uh, to Gaius, and uh, that was the the common way to do the letter, same as we would today. Uh, so it's more likely that uh, this letter is actually written uh, from from John to the church, uh, the church being the the lady. Uh, whom we love, and her children being the individual Christians who make up this church. In fact, we find some evidence of that in the wording uh, in verses verses 10 and 12, uh, when uh, the verse says this, verse 10 says, Anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. And verse 12 says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Uh, Instead, I hope to visit you. Uh, the word you that it's using there in the Greek is actually uh, not an individual word, like I'm writing to you as we translate here in English, uh, but it's written more like the, the southern word y'all. Okay? It's more of a, a plural thing. Uh, or I guess you could say the, um, the bogan word use. Uh, I guess we could use that. So it, it's like John, if he was from Australia, saying um, you, shouldn't take, you shouldn't take any of those guys in. Okay? Or if you're from the south, John is saying to them, "I've got a lot to say to y'all, but I don't want to do it face. But I don't want to do it like this. I want to see you face to face. Okay, I want to say it to y'all face to face rather than in a letter." So he's writing to a group of people here, a group of individuals, a group of Christians. He's writing for a couple reasons. There's a couple main things that we want to get out of uh, this letter this morning, um, although it's small. A couple challenges that John writes to this church whoever it is, with this group of believers that he's writing to uh, in the early time. Now, he calls himself, uh, his name is not in it, it's called, uh, it says he's from the elder. Uh, now, we don't know if that was given to him as a title and, and that he would have been uh, the most highly respected spiritual authority at the time, uh, or because of his old age, he would have most certainly been the, uh, the last living apostle at the time that this letter was written. Uh, but either way, uh, John, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ is writing this to these early Christians uh, and they would have taken his words quite seriously. And he uses this as an opportunity to encourage them and to bless them because he hears about some great things going on in their life. And so he talks to them some about 
uh, the inner life of them as believers, about uh, their, their faith in God and how they're to cling to the truth, and then warns them about some threats uh, to that life of truth and how they're to avoid uh, the false teachings and uh, false teachers. So we find in verses 1 to 6 a great challenge about truth. Now, you'll notice in these early verses, uh, truth is mentioned a lot, isn't it? Verse 1, it says, not, oh, sorry, verse 1, to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but all those who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us will be with us forever. And then verse 4 says, it's given me great joy to find out that some of you are walking in the truth, that some of your children are walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us to do, that we are to know and to walk in the truth. Now, that's a lot of emphasis on truth, isn't it? That's a lot of times to mention the word truth in these early parts. And so John is calling them to recognize, as he has over and over in his uh, different letters, uh, about a knowledge of God and a relationship with God and that they walk closely uh, with Christ and with his teachings and with what they've known from the beginning. They are to follow in God's commands and follow God's truth. Truth, God's truth is what the people are to be following. God himself, who lives with them, brings unity and strength in the, in the, in the church. I've, um, I've traveled a lot through the different years and uh, to a lot of different churches. And I don't know about you, but I'm amazed that when you walk into a church or a group of, of believers in Christ, you recognize a, a unity in, in the Spirit in Christ. You recognize a, a unity in, uh, in what, what God brings to the church, in a group of people who are surrendered to Him and who want to follow in, in His truth, who want to follow in His ways. There is unity in their strength that, that God brings to the church because we're seeking to follow Him. A unity and strength that, that we often can't understand. Because we try to make things work in a church based on our own wonderful personalities. And we just think, everyone's going to want to be, hang out with us, right? Because we're, we're amazing. And we're wonderful. And we're friendly. And we're lovable. And if we just make things friendly enough, or we make things appeasing enough, on our own efforts and with our own strength, then there's going to be great unity in the church at all times. But I don't know about you, but I've been around church long enough to realize that if the unity you're seeking in a church is based on the fact that everything is always going the way you want it to, or if unity in the church is based on the fact that you like certain people who are there, then what happens when things don't go the way that you want them to? Or what happens when those personalities of those individuals are no longer there? Then all of a sudden... It feels the church is falling apart. We are meant to be united in our relationship with God, in our quest to know Him more and to know more and more of the truth, in our desire to follow in His ways and to serve Him and to put Him above self. Now, it's hard for us as a church, it's hard for us as individuals to put God or to put anyone above ourselves. We want to be involved in a church or we want to be involved in a particular church because we like things and we're comfortable in that, that sort of environment. Or maybe you like that sort of music or maybe you like the air conditioning or whatever it is that you like about a certain setting or a certain group of people. Uh, we like what we like. And oftentimes, whether we want to admit it or not, we are part of a certain church because we, we are comfortable with the way things are. 
in that group, or we love that group of people. And I think that you guys are an amazing group of people. I think you're a pretty lovely group of people. You are. You're, you're, you're amazing, and I, I love being a part uh, of this church family. But I have to say, there will be times through the years that there may be some time, at least, that we don't always get along. Or that we, one of us says something or does something that, that, that rubs the other the wrong way. And if our only sense of unity is the fact that we always agree, or our only sense of unity is that, that we, we both like the air conditioning in, in the building, then one of us is going to go their own way. And there's going to be disunity in the church. Now, I say that half-jokingly, but to say there's a lot of disunity in God's church today. There's a lot of disunity. In fact, it's hard to find a church, whether it be an Anglican church or a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or whatever that is, it's hard to find a group of believers in Jesus that you don't find a lot of disunity. Why is that? Because there's too much of us in the church. And John here hears of these people's faith. And he writes in this letter to say, man, I hear that some of you are just walking in the truth. God himself is a part of your daily life. You're championing the truth. You're lifting him up. And there is unity and strength because you are seeking to serve God together. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for people to hear about lakes? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to hear about God's church? For other churches to write and say, Man, I hear there's some great things going on. You've got a whole group of believers there at Lakes who are trusting God with their life. You have a group of people who are putting their own opinions aside. They're putting their own agendas aside. They're putting their own pleasure aside. And they're saying, God, I want to serve you. And they're focusing on God and His uniting truth, His uniting spirit. There's unity there's unity in the truth and in following God. There's unity in an effort to, to know God more and more every day. Now, I may be old school. Like I said, I'm still on paper and I, I, I read the Bible. But I read it every single day. And I, I, I may be old school as a pastor, but I want to challenge you. You need to be reading your Bible every single day. And I've said it many times from here. If you don't have a Bible, let me know and I promise I will get you one. Because you need to be reading this every day. Don't rely on just what is preached in the pulpit. Don't rely on what you see or what you hear on a podcast or what you see on television. Read God's Word every day. We should be a people who are on a quest to know the truth. We are on a quest to know God. God is truth. And we need to know Him more and more every day. I was talking with, uh, with someone this week about reading the Bible. And I said, they said the majority of, of Christians today in Australia and Western culture, the, the vast majority, I think it's 85% or something like that of Christians, never read their Bible. Never read their Bible. Not, not every once in a while. Never read their Bible. But a staggering thing for me is that they say the vast majority of pastors only read their Bible when they're preparing for the sermon for that week. So they read the Bible for what they're, they're going to be preaching on that week. And I, I know what you're talking about. That. I mean, I've, I don't know how many times I would have read through Second uh, John this week. I read through it four times this morning before we started uh, the worship time. Like, you, you know that passage and you know about that, but how sad it is that, that pastors are only reading 
for what they're going to be teaching on or what they're going to be preaching on and not to develop their own spiritual life with God, their own walk with God. Oh, we need to be a church. We need to be a people of God who, who know Him. How can we show God's love if we don't know Him? How can we lead people in, in God's grace and mercy if we're not walking with Him? And so John here says, Man, it is so important to cling to the truth. I see that you are people who are walking in the truth. You are knowing God and you're living according to His Word. What is His commands? That you love one another. That is a flow-on effect of knowing God. Man, God is love. God is truth. And you cannot know God's truth. You cannot experience God's love without it flowing out of your life. It is so much love that we cannot contain it. It is so much truth that we have to share it. Have you ever found out something like a great secret? Have you ever just found out something, something amazing? What is that first instinct when you, have, when you just find out something you go, oh, I've got to tell everybody. I've just got to tell someone. Now, a challenge this time of year when people are presenting presents and things is sometimes you might tell, uh, like we might say in our family, we might tell one of our kids, what someone, else, someone might see what someone else is getting for Christmas. Yeah? Someone might say, oh, but don't tell. This is a secret. So what do they do? Right before they open the present, it's a pony. And whatever it is, you know, they, they just tell. And, oh, thanks. And, um, you know, I had my, um, my birthday the other day. And what happens lots of times on my birthday, because we've got young kids, is... I get ready, and, and everyone's kept this a secret, and I'm getting ready to open the present, and then someone says what it is. And I just go, oh, it just takes away that, that bit of joy, doesn't it, in unwrapping that. Uh, but that's okay. Sometimes if we know something great that someone else, we know is going to bring someone else joy, we've got to tell them. And the reason children can't hold that in is they go, I know you're going to be just as excited about this as I am. I know this is going to bring you joy and this is going to bring you pleasure. You've got to know this. I'll help you rip open the paper. I'll help you get into this because this is going to make you happy. I think John is saying to the church here, I see that some of you are walking in the truth. You're, you're not only getting to know God, you're following His commands. And what flows out of that is you're loving one another. And so I want to encourage you with that, to just keep on keeping on. And I want to challenge you to keep on keeping on. Keep on knowing God. Keep on walking in His truth. Because there's unity in that. There's strength in that. And what comes out of that is that we love one another. And that sort of love, that sort of truth just comes out. We can't keep it in. We've got to let the world know of God's love and God's grace. And when we see the world stumbling around in the darkness, we want to go, here's the light. Let me shine it out for you. Let me show you the truth. Let me show you the way. When we see people who, who are not loved and they're down and they're lonely, we want to say, let me show you God. Let me show you His grace. Let me show you the truth. And so John here says, the inner life of the believer is something that we need to not only celebrate, but we need to work on and we need to be challenged on as God's church. We need to be knowing God every single day. We need to be learning from His Word. We need to get to know Him through our prayer, through our reading of God's Word, through our study of it together, through our worship together. We need to be honoring Him, but we need to let it sink in so that it affects all of our life every single day so that we're walking in the truth and that 
we're following God's command to love one another. But then it goes on in verses 7 to 11 to say there are some threats to this sort of life of truth. Now, to the early church, this was uh, a specific threat that he's talking about, about false teachers coming out. And, uh, in fact, um, verse 7, it says this, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you be rewarded fully. So many deceivers have gone out into the world saying that they were once part of the church and they, uh, they w- would profess their, their faith and, and maybe they worshipped in some of the other house churches around in the early church, but they've gone out because they don't, know, they, they don't acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. Now we know from 1 John, that letter, if you're with us for a few weeks, that John works hard to show that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, uh, the Savior of the world. He's not just a man. He was fully man, but fully God. This is God in flesh, God's Son, Jesus Christ, who came to be our Messiah. And he said there are some who, they may look like Christians, but they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And watch out for them. Because he calls them deceivers or the Antichrist. And again, as the Antichrist, he's not talking about a certain person, but someone that teaches that there's some other way to salvation other than Jesus Christ. They are anti or against or taking away from Christ. When John presents that Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, Jesus is the Messiah. And so we need to watch out for those who are coming around who teach otherwise. Now, in the early church, they were a very hospitable people, and they were welcoming in strangers, which was a wonderful thing. There were no hotels in that, uh, that time, or um, those that were, uh, if there were hotels in some of the cities, uh, they were known as being kind of houses of ill repute, uh, I guess, and so... Uh, Christians who would travel around wouldn't try to stay in the hotels because it would damage their witness for Christ. And so stay in the home of other believers. Now this is a time in this early days in the church in which the Roman Empire was at a great height. And uh, the Roman Empire had uh, developed this Pax Roma, which was uh, passageways which was secured by uh, their, their soldiers. And there was safe travel throughout all the kingdom for the first time uh, ever. And the spread of the church, the spread of the gospel, was, was just reaching new grounds. And, and the spread was just uh, increasing all the time. Uh, there were Christians traveling around, sharing the hope that they had in Christ. And so as people spread around and, and as they went out to, to teach about what God had been doing in their life and, and who Jesus is, they would stay in the home of other believers. And, of course, they would talk together and they would learn from each other and challenge one another. There weren't established churches like there are today. Uh, there weren't just pastors and leaders necessarily like there are today. There were groups of Christians who were just going out there being the church. And as they went out to spread that gospel, they stayed with other believers. They learned from each other. They challenged one another. And the church were being very hospitable, which is great. They were welcoming people into their home, which is great. But some people were using this to their advantage as they sought to lead people away from the truth and away from Jesus. And so 
John says, as you're being gracious, as you're being kind, as you're being hospitable, be on guard. Because there are some who come who are not coming in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are teaching their own ways or some other way of salvation other than Jesus. Avoid that at all costs. Stay away from them. Because we don't want you to lose what you worked so hard for, but we want you to gain your full reward. Now, John is not saying in any way that uh, if, you, if you hang out with those who don't believe that Jesus is Christ, that you're going to lose your salvation. Because in all John's writings, in, in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and John's gospel, uh, in, in his writings, he says that our relationship with Christ is secure in Christ. When we've decided to follow Christ with our life, uh, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that is secure forevermore. It's not going anywhere. We have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. We have eternal hope and security because of Jesus Christ. But John is challenging the church and encouraging the church by saying, look, you are doing great work. You, you're, you are spreading God's message all around the area, and that's wonderful. But he's saying you need to be careful to not allow those who are believing the false teachings to... Sorry, you, you have to... You have to be careful to not believe those who are false teachers who come around you, and you have to be careful to not be perceived as supporting those other views, as it could damage the, uh, the work that you're doing in the community, the, the pastoral work, the missionary efforts to share God's love and grace in the community. In fact, it could lead the very people that you're trying to lead to God, it could lead them away from God, as they think, well, you're not following the truth, or you're listening to those who aren't following the truth. So avoid those who are teaching anything other than that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God. Stick with the truth. Follow your relationship with God. Keep on doing what you're doing. It's so easy. It's so easy in today's world to listen to other voices out there, to listen to outside things that seem like the truth. And I mentioned before, in a world where there's so many Christian books out there, there's so many Christian podcasts and, and great speakers on, on TV and the Internet and everything else, it's hard to know what to follow. My preference every single time, and I think John's preference here, is to go with what the Bible says, to stick with what God's Word says, and to stick with who God is as we get to know Him through our relationship with Him. And anything that's outside of God's Word, anything that's teaching other than that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God Himself, our Savior and Lord, anything like that that goes against that should be avoided. And we should need to stick with the truth, to walk in the truth, to not allow any certain preachers or any certain writers or anything like that, blogs or anything else like that, to be what guides our life but to let God, His truth, and the truth of His Word be what guides us as His church to know how to be the church in our community, to know His love and grace, to experience it for ourselves, to experience truth and love, and then to share truth and love in every aspect of our lives. Next week, as we are celebrating Christmas Day, we have a look at... Uh, Third, uh, three John, or, or third John here. A, a great letter encouraging us as a church to show God's love and to lift Him up and to, um, to share that. So I want to challenge you to read through 
uh, 3 John. It's, uh, again, it's only 14 verses, so it's a short, um, short little book. But I want to challenge you to read through that this week. Study that so that we can challenge one another on Christmas Day to show God's love. What a time we have, an opportunity we have uh, to lift Christ up and to show His love and grace and mercy than at Christmas. What a better time. Uh, let me just lead us in prayer. To God, we thank You and I praise You for the precious gift of Your Word. And Lord, I, I pray that Your Spirit just work in our hearts and lives and challenge us, God, that we'd be more and more like You, that we get to know You more every single day, that we know Your Word, that we know Your love, and that we share Your truth and grace in every aspect of our lives. May it transform our marriages. Maybe it, may it transform our, our workplaces and our families in every aspect of our lives. May we be transformed by Your grace your mercy, your truth, as we seek to honor you as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.